0: Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. As a speech and language pathologist, Christina Hunger, my guest today, works with toddlers who are behind in language development. Actually, she works with people of all ages to improve their communication skills, teaching them to use augmentative and alternative communication devices or AAC to non-verbally express themselves. However, humans aren't our only clients. In 2018, when she brought home her new puppy, Christina had an epiphany, one that she shares in her book, How Stella Learned to Talk. And we're gonna talk about that and a lot more. So let's meet and get to know Christina Hunger. Welcome, and thanks so much for joining me remotely from Chicago today. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Christina, when... It came time for you to go to college and pursue a degree. Was speech pathology on your front burner?
1: It really wasn't. I didn't actually even know about the field until my sophomore year of college. When I went to undergrad, I knew that I wanted to help people in some way. I knew I was really interested in health fields, and I was also interested in education. But I was just looking for something with a balance of both. And one of my friends just recommended that I take a class in the speech pathology department. I really didn't know anything about it. But when I took that first class, it was just this instant connection. It was I was so fascinated by the whole field. I shadowed every speech therapist that I could and just I loved it immediately.
0: Forgive the pun, but in other words, it spoke to you? It really did, yes. <laughs> So you graduated, then you went on to get a master's degree, correct? Because you didn't start to work upon graduation, did you?
1: Right. So to be a licensed speech-language pathologist, it requires a master's degree. So after undergrad, I went to two years of grad school to get that master's degree. And then after that, um, there's still a year-long fellowship that we have to complete in order to be completely certified and out practicing on our own. So it was a
0: solid six years years of that journey. Yeah. And was it a no brainer in a sense that you were going to work with youngsters?
1: Yes. I love kids. (laughs) And (laughs) just even in high school, I would run um pitching camps. I was a softball pitcher and I would, you know, teach younger kids how to pitch. I would do all sorts of summer camps, stuff like that. So I just I I've always loved kids and I knew that I would be working with kids in some way.
0: So when you got your first job, it was with what? With whom?
1: My first job was in Omaha, Nebraska. That's where I went for my final placement for grad school and it's pretty much like working as an intern without getting paid for mm. our Mm -hmm. final semester. And um, I worked at a clinic there. And then I loved it so much that I took my first job there. And so I worked at this clinic where I saw kids of all ages who had um, a lot of varying disabilities. So I worked with a lot of kids with autism or Down syndrome, kids who had really significant uh, delays and disorders in their communication. And it was my job to help them communicate as effectively as they could and to find different ways for them
0: to talk if they couldn't talk with verbal speech. So the children's issues really ran the gamut.
1: Correct. Yeah, at the clinic I worked at, it was... Everything. I worked with some kids who were one and a half. I worked with some kids who were just about to turn 18, all with different things going on. So it was a really cool first job to figure out what I loved. Mm -hmm. And the whole field of speech therapy is such a huge scope of practice. And even in this job setting, it was huge, even though it was working with kids, but it
0: was, yeah, it was everything. So, how long into your practice? did canines enter?
1: So that was actually pretty early on. It was in my first year as a speech therapist. I wasn't even fully licensed yet. It was right before I finished my clinical fellowship, it's called, which is the first year out of grad school where we still have to be supervised a little bit um, before we're fully licensed on our own. So it was when I brought Stella home as a puppy in March of 2018. I just had this epiphany as soon as I met her really, it was like within two days that I noticed all these similarities in her communication skills and how toddlers communicate right before they start saying words. And it was just this curiosity about, well, what would happen if Stella had a way to say words? What would happen if I taught her like I teach kids? Just what would happen? And it has gradually evolved from
0: that point. Explain how Stella was similar to some of your clients.
1: Yeah. So when Stella was really little, she was already bursting with communication. So she would use gestures to communicate, like she would paw at her water dish if it was empty, or she would stand next to the door to indicate that she needed to go outside. She would communicate with eye contact. So that's a skill that toddlers demonstrate right before they start saying words is they'll get your attention by looking at you. Then they'll look to the toy they want and then look back to you or they'll point at the toy they want. It's using that gesture to communicate, using that eye contact to communicate. She was vocalizing to grab our attention. You know, she was scared um, at night. She was whining, trying to signal out to us. And these are all actually extreme similarities to what kids do right before they start saying words. They're part of the developmental milestones that
0: kids go through in language. So I just saw all of those. So does not a child get physical with you as in like maybe tapping your arm or pulling down your shirt to let you know that he or she has, quote, something to say?
1: Yes, absolutely. So before kids are able to say words, they'll communicate concepts of words just through a gesture or, yeah, through pulling on you or tapping something or pointing. And so it's really interesting. All of the research shows there's this direct correlation in human language development of what babies and toddlers communicate with a gesture and then the subsequent words that they develop like shortly after. So kids will communicate a concept with a gesture like you can imagine a baby raising his arms up to say like, lift me up. Mm -hmm. And that happens before the baby learns the word up. And so then they're able to say the word for that concept that they were already communicating with a gesture.
0: Explain to me the process to get a child to verbalize. Or does that in some cases just never happen?
1: Sometimes you're right. It doesn't happen. Not every person has the ability to functionally communicate with verbal speech. It's something that we all take for granted. Absolutely. I think
0: it's so
1: easy um, and effortless for us to sit here and, you know, have this conversation and express ourselves through verbal speech, but that is unfortunately not the case for everyone. So it really depends on what's causing that. There can be a lot of reasons why it's difficult for someone to communicate with verbal speech. But at the end of the day, my job is to find the way that um, someone can communicate to their fullest potential through whatever means possible. So if it's really hard for someone to talk with verbal speech and it's been, you know, years of trying and it's not working out, finding a different way for them to express all the thoughts that are going on in their minds and, and give them an outlet.
0: What's the correlation between one's physical situation to be able to verbalize
1: so just a lot of different disabilities and disorders that impact the actual like brain function of the motor planning from you know thinking of a concept as a word and then being able to actually signal going to the mouth to articulate all of this and coordinate and then speak so It's honestly different for every person. Like,
0: oh, I'm sure Mm -hmm. what's
1: going on, but it's a difference in what's happening in the child's brain. And that's it happens too with adults. Like, if someone has a stroke or a traumatic brain injury,
0: right?
1: um, Dementia or Parkinson's, it's something that's happening in the brain that's impacting their ability to, to coordinate
0: everything that needs to occur for speech. Do your clients run the gamut in terms of age?
1: Yes, absolutely. I've worked with, I mean, mostly I've worked with kids, but in grad school, I I worked with adults. I worked with people in the hospital, um, people who just had strokes. And then there's also um, even newborn babies. Speech pathologists work with newborn babies if they were born really premature and they weren't able to develop the skills for feeding and swallowing on Mm -hmm. their own. So -hmm. it's such a rich profession that there's something for everyone (laughs) if you're interested in that field.
0: And at some point for you, you knew that you were going to start your own practice.
1: So I knew that I loved AAC, which means augmentative and alternative communication. And these are like using communication devices to help those who aren't able to functionally communicate with verbal speech. I knew that I wanted to be able to educate about AAC on a grander scale. So I did everything in my power as a clinician to try to teach parents about AAC, teach other professionals about AAC. And I just wanted a way to be able to teach a lot more people about something that's so important to so many. I think that's what I always knew I wanted to do. I just didn't know the how that was going to happen.
0: Has AAC been around for a long time? It
1: has, but it's gotten... So much better recently with developments in technology. So, it all started back in like the 1960s when someone observed um, in a hospital that people who had just had like a stroke or a brain injury or something was going on, they had no way to communicate if they weren't able to talk. And so they just gave them a bell to ring. Mm. And they were like, well, wait a second, we can do better than a bell and develops um, a keyboard type thing for to use. and just evolved from there. And now technology is so much better that you can get these AAC apps and programs on iPads that are much more affordable and just easier to come by and easier to carry
0: around. So, What's the story with Stella? Did you just decide one day, I think I want a dog in my life?
1: Pretty much, actually. It wasn't just one day, but um, I had just moved in with my boyfriend at the time, now my husband, Jake. And it was the first time that I was actually living somewhere as an adult where I could have a dog if <laughs> I to. I wasn't, you know, renting an apartment or something. Right, right. And my family dog that I had growing up had just passed away a few months before, and I was really missing dogs in my life. And so when Jake and I moved in together, I was ready pretty immediately Mm -hmm, to get on board. But yeah, we brought Stella home just a few weeks after we moved in together. And I just saw, I wouldn't get Stella to try teaching her how to talk that I didn't even have the idea yet. It was just when I brought her home, I saw so many comparisons of how she was communicating. And what I was doing at work with toddlers that I just, when I saw that potential, I truly couldn't unsee it. I had to try something.
0: Was it Stella, a pup?
1: Yeah, she was a puppy. We brought her home at eight weeks old.
0: So just a little tiny little girl. Stella came into your lives and the next thing you know, she became a client in a way.
1: (laughs) Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, we just got a puppy because we wanted to have a dog together We wanted to have a pet together. We both love dogs. And I love AAC. I love speech therapy. I was always gushing about my job to Jake. It was just something that I was always thinking about in the back of my mind, like communication, how to help people communicate in the best way possible, how else I can teach people. These were just always thoughts going on. And so then when I saw Stella and, you know, I know there's all this research about how dogs can understand words and she was already communicating so much with her gestures and her eye gaze and her um, vocalizations, her barking. I just wondered, you know, she can understand words. Shouldn't she have a chance to say them too? Like an equal opportunity type thing.
0: But that didn't make Stella unique. I mean, because dogs, bark and stand at the door when they want to go out or that they hang out at their bowl because, hey, look, you know, you forgot about me. I'm hungry. That doesn't make her unusual.
1: Correct. So I just saw what she was doing from a different lens. I think it was, and I talk about this in my book, I had played with plenty of dogs. I had met plenty of puppies, but none since I became a speech therapist and was working with communication devices so frequently. So I think it was just this unique perspective that I had. It was the awareness shift and what I was seeing and what it meant to me that Everyone else could see the same things, like they could see what she was doing, but it just had a greater significance.
0: Sure. It didn't resonate in the same way. So I came to you because I saw the piece about you on CBS Sunday morning, and you have one of the devices, a fairly large square with all these buttons on it.
1: Yes. So I started off just with a few simple buttons. They were just individual buttons that you record a word into. This was at the very beginning when I didn't know this would even work. So I just started with um, the words outside, play, water, and walk. And I would push the button that would say the voice output for the word every time I verbally said that word. So I was showing Stella, you know, this is the same word. This is how you can say it, essentially.
0: So you said water and you pressed the button that had the word water written on it or a picture of something?
1: it says the word water. So when you push the button, it says water because I would pre-record the word. I understand, okay. So I would say water, water verbally and I would push her water button a couple times and pour water into her bowl. Or as she was drinking water, I would narrate what was happening. You know, Stella drink water, 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 push her water button. So she was hearing the word water and seeing another way that she could say the word water if she wanted to. And so I just did that with these, simple words to begin with, because I didn't know, you know, what was happening, if this was going to go somewhere. Sure, sure. um, But it did. She started about a month into me teaching. She started using outside play and water on her own in the right context. So it wasn't just pushing a button and walking away.
0: Arbitrarily. Yeah.
1: Yeah. She would say outside, go out and go to the bathroom. When we weren't paying attention to her, she would say play and run and get a toy and Say play like 10 times in a row to get us that, to try that
0: her play. paw would be pressing down on this particular button that said play.
1: Yes. So from there, I still thought, okay, you know, this is really exciting. She's saying these words in the right context. But what really changed was when she started using words for different functions other than requesting. So that's all that I set out initially to do. I thought maybe she can use a few different words to just tell me her different needs. Mm -hmm. But the moment that changed was when I was watering my plants and Stella was following me around like she always did. She sniffed the watering can, walked down the hall into another room, said, water, and then came back and stayed by my side while I was watering the plants.
0: So she did that to indicate that this is what you were doing. Yes,
1: yes. So, so she, she, didn't oh a drink. God,
0: she didn't want water. <laughs> she was just like, hey everybody. Christina's watering her plants.
1: Exactly. And that's Holy what
0: like <laughs> <laughs> that
1: was truly the moment that this opened up in my mind because that wasn't the last time she did that. She kept using words for different functions to just point out what was happening and that's what kids do too they label everything around them they see someone playing with a ball they point at it and say ball or you're filling up you know they hear the water running and they get excited and say water they're just talking about their
0: environment so your device your board yes went from four buttons Mm -hmm. to what
1: so I kept adding more words, I think the next batch I added was, um, bye, love you, come help and no. And these, I still had just individual buttons kind of around our house. And then The moment that that changed was when Stella made her first two-word combination. And I wasn't thinking this, again, was going to be possible at all. It just was not on my radar for something that she could achieve. But one night when we um, took her to play at the beach and we didn't feed her before we left, we came back and it was later than her normal mealtime. She walked over to the button next to her dish, said, eat, then walked into another room across the room and said no. So she put the words eat and no together to communicate that she hadn't
0: eaten yet. <laughs> <Wow>. Did, <laughs> so, I mean, was this just jaw-dropping for you? Yes. <laughs> I can't imagine that you and your husband would go, oh my God. This
1: yeah, is I was massive. freaking out because it just went, from that time, it just went so far beyond where I thought this was heading. I thought she would just stay at using a few words, you know, just to say some simple needs and it would be fun, but it wasn't going to be some
0: huge revolutionary concept. She was going to to give a speech, in other words. She was (laughs) not going to go on the circuit, on the lecture circuit. This board just kept expanding.
1: So at this point, I I still didn't have a board. They were just all around. Buttons, right. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so that's the moment when she said, eat, no. And then in the next days, she continued combining words. That wasn't the only Word combination she made, and I saw okay. She's literally walking across our home to put words together. This needs to be easier for her. So that's when I put them all together. On first, I just started with like a a big poster board that was a little kind of like a foam poster board. Mm -hmm. Put them all on it and velcroed them together in a grid format. So I put her like I think it was eleven buttons at that time, just all in columns that she could walk between and um, push the buttons and so once she learned she had to relearn all of the words because now they were in a new spot so she had to read they were reconfigured kind of yeah, mm-hmm. where they were and once she learned that her word use exploded I mean she was making word combinations all the time she was using her words so frequently like between 20 to 40 times a day, she would walk over to say something. And so from there, I just kept expanding, getting bigger boards to put her buttons on. And that's where we're at now with this pretty large board that has 40 Have you discussed politics? <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> is she waiting Uh-oh. on the news? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thankfully, no. She is still in her dog world and our world, so... She just, you know, she just talks about the environment that's around her and what we're doing, what she's doing, how she's feeling. So it's, it's really advanced from her just saying these simple needs to, you know, sometimes we have these short conversations back and forth that go two or three turns of her saying something, me saying, me
0: responding, and then her responding to that. When you set out a bowl of food for her, Mm -hmm. she doesn't need to communicate that with you. You know that her bowl needs to have water in it and that Mm -hmm. at a certain time you're going to, I don't know how often dogs have meals, but you know, Mm -hmm. that you're going to fill up her bowl with the dog food.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't, I don't make her say something before I give her, you know, food or water. Right. But so our typical routine, she'll wake up in the morning, she'll walk downstairs And she'll say if she wants to go outside first or if she wants to eat first, she'll literally say, want outside, come eat, which means I want to go outside, then come eat. Or sometimes she wakes up really hungry. She'll run downstairs and say, eat, eat, then come outside. So she kind of narrates her routine of what she wants to do when, Mm -hmm. um, take her outside, feed her, and she'll come in and tell me what she wants to do next. If she wants to go for a walk, if she wants to go to the park, mm-hmm. um, if she's looking for my husband, Jake, if he's still sleeping, say like bed,
0: mad, a lot. Of- <laughs> in bed. Oh, yeah. uh-huh. Uh-huh. So a day doesn't go by that she's not using uh-huh. her device. Never. Yeah. Ever since
1: she started using her buttons independently, she has used them every single day all throughout the day. And What's really cool is i I never gave her treats or any sort of rewards reward for using words because I wanted to teach her like I would teach kids, and we teach kids how to say words by showing them the power of each word and what happens when um, each word is used. And so I did the same thing with Stella. It wouldn't make sense if she said, play and I gave her a treat, a kid said play, you'd say, yeah, yes. Yes, play. of course.
0: Though, yes. What a validation that is. I understand what you're saying. I, right. I know what you want. So when did it hit you to take it on a grander scale? Was it just a no brainer for you to write a book about this? It started off a lot smaller.
1: It was this just Gradual realization of what was happening was really special and really unique, and I think that's one cool part about my book is you see that evolution in my realization of like, whoa, this is getting, you know, a lot bigger than I thought sure it ever be. So, about a year into teaching Stella, she was just she was making new word combinations every day. She was narrating what was happening, talking about something that just happened in comparison to what she wanted to do next. It was just this constant language explosion. And so I, I was really every day thinking like, people need to know about this. Like I I need to start getting the word out <laughs> in some capacity because it's just so amazing. It, it was so bizarre having this like Miracle unfolding in my living absolutely,
0: absolutely
1: knew about. So I started just by writing, and I didn't know where it was going to go. But I just opened my laptop, a blank Word document, and just started writing about what was happening, what my ideas were, where we started, where we were now. Um, I had been documenting her progress all along because it was just so fascinating to me. So I had all these data sheets and pages and pages of her communication stories of what she said and what was going on and
0: all of that. Where was this in her development that when it hit you, that you've got a story to tell? Was this six months into it, a year? It was about
1: a year into teaching her. And at that point, she had already, she was using a board that had probably between 15 and 20 words that she was saying. And so, and making these new phrases every day. When I started writing this stuff, I didn't know what I was going to do with it. And then I decided to create a website with a blog. And so I just started um, posting, you know, blog posts about what was going on, uh, my observations, and just pointing out different developmental milestones that she was demonstrating, making predictions for what would happen next. And just inviting people to come on this journey with me. And then from there, I started sharing videos too. So I just started posting videos a few times a week to to my blog and to the social media accounts attached to it. In November of 2019, People Magazine saw it in some bizarre way. A writer from People saw it and wrote the first article on this. And it just completely went viral. Like, it was absolutely insane, my oh, I bet, oh my God. yeah, my following went from six hundred people to five hundred thousand, and she like,. It, it was just crazy. and I it was, <laughs> I'm still processing how that all happened, but everyone was just overwhelmingly enthusiastic and wanting to know more. And I had so much more that I wanted to share because at that point, people had just seen the tip of the iceberg. It was this really cool thing of seeing this dog using buttons to communicate. But to me, it was such a deeper story. And I had the past two years in my head that I wanted people to understand of how we
0: got there. And that's when I decided to write a book about it. And so that became a natural act, correct? Although I'm wondering, as you're writing this book, if at some point Stella was even doing more, like she applied for a job and got it. (laughs) 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 Or she said, I think I'll make a movie. So with every day, she was doing more and more?
1: Pretty much. I would say every week she was developing these new skills, especially for the period of time between like, when she was about one to two, there was just so much development in there. And while I was writing my book, she I was still working with her. And, and even now, she's still, um, you know, surprising me and using words in different ways and learning new words. But I think the majority of this, like,
0: language explosion happened when she was between one and two. And she's what now? How old? She is three. Now, have other people reached out to you to say spot? and Rover have been doing the same thing.
1: Yes. So now after it went out in November of 2019 and I started writing my book over the past year and a half, literally thousands of people around the world have been teaching their dogs, sending videos, writing to me, sharing videos on social media. It's this whole movement that has gone so far beyond uh, me and beyond Stella, which is just so thrilling to see because it started off as just this natural passion and curiosity. And here it is, you know, becoming a movement in animal communication.
0: It must be so overwhelming to you to see what you gave birth to (laughs) and then how it just took off. Do you sell the boards or people do this on their own?
1: Yeah. So you can buy the buttons that we started using because I, I didn't make the buttons on my own. I just found buttons um, that already existed for, A different purpose. It was for, it was supposed to be, um, they were just like answer buzzers that teachers could program a word into and use in their classrooms for kids to, they're playing games, you know, to say a word with a button. I just happened to use those and they worked really well. So I actually partnered with the company who made those buttons to create a new pack of buttons that now comes with activities and instructions written by me so that people who want to teach their dogs can. Um, know what to do with the buttons and and how to use
0: them. So individual buyers and dog owners voice the buttons, not you.
1: Correct. Yep. So they get to choose the words. And um, that's something that I talk about in my book and in the activities that I wrote is figuring out the best words to pick and where to start so that people know how to teach their dogs and set them up for their best success
0: so hunger for words what a great <laughs> <laughs> what a great title for your speech therapy education company mm-hmm. which is animal and human
1: yes so it's just taking these concepts of aac speech therapy and language and really bringing it to the masses so i feel like i'm i'm teaching through stella right now and showing you know educating about these concepts through stella and through these videos and pointing out what's happening and why it works and how it worked to get here. But they're, you know, they're strategies and they're concepts that came from my education and work with humans. So they're these concepts that can be applied. Applied.
0: Yeah. Um, And you still work with children
1: and adults. So I just stopped um, when things were really picking up with my books. So I'm not working with kids one-on-one anymore. So you kind of shut down your
0: practice for all intents and purposes? For right now, yes. So you must be in such demand. Mm -hmm. Tell me how you feel about all of this notoriety.
1: You know, it's a lot to process. It's very exciting because it's something I care so much about. And I love that something to me that's so powerful, AAC and communication and just understanding others and how to communicate with others is really being talked about in the media, like that's a dream come true as a speech therapist. But it is also hard because I'm trying to find the balance of, you know, creating and doing things that I'm really wanting that are new and helpful. And then also going and talking about the things that I'm doing on this wider scale. So it's been a lot to figure out and balance because it's It just all happened so fast and was so different from my job of (laughs)
0: working. Yeah, no kidding. I often ask this of my guests if I was your fairy godmother, (laughs) you want what from me?
1: Oh, well, I think what I would love just to see happen in the world with this idea is my dream is to be able to keep sharing it in all different areas. So I'm working on a children's book about inclusion and, um, you know, everyone having something to say and everyone having a different way to say it.
0: And to be heard as well. Yes,
1: exactly. Yes. Um, My dream ultimately for this is to spread so much more awareness of AAC and the human populations who rely on using communication devices I would love to, you know, have a nonprofit someday where we're funding communication devices for people who aren't able to afford them, and educating people so that they know how to communicate with um, devices, and communication partners know how to respect that voice and advocate for their loved ones. So, I see this going even beyond animals. I love that it's bringing a voice to dogs and who knows, maybe even more animals in the future. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I also, I love working with kids. I love helping people understand their family members who have gone years without having a way to talk. Yeah. And so I hope it, it benefits them as well. Have the devices been around for quite some time? They have, but it's been misunderstood for many years, um, just the whole fields of AAC. So Unfortunately, up until recently, a lot of therapists and professionals um, didn't really have the education to have AAC be the fantastic tool that it is, or people would wait way too long, like until a child was I've worked with kids who are like sixteen and never no one had ever tried using a device with them because they wow. were afraid it would stop them from talking, which the research shows the opposite is true. but Anyway, it's been around, but it hasn't, it still isn't as widely used as it could
0: and should be. I bet what must be difficult is how people can dismiss those of us who don't verbally communicate and make these assumptions that are just so wrong. Exactly. Like
1: (laughs) my blood is boiling now thinking about that because that's what happens. And that's what I saw far too often as a speech therapist. There were kids who had these whole, you know, worlds going on in their minds, but because they communicated in a different way, the adults around them dismissed that. Mm. Or if they were using their device to say something and they were asking for it over and over again, the adult would get annoyed and put their device on the shelf. So now they have no way to talk. I mean, it's just there's just not the same level of respect for communicating through a device as verbal speech. And that's something that I really want to change.
0: And what's that like when you had your clients who started with you, maybe mm-hmm. as a child, and then at some point didn't need you anymore?
1: Yeah, that's that's an exciting time. It's hard to let go, but that's the goal is you want kids to be able to communicate independently without um, this help and support. So it's different for everyone and what that level of independence means is different, you know, for every case, but it's hard saying bye to those relationships that I've built. And it's also exciting at the same time, because that's what you
0: know you're working towards. (laughs) That you can send them out into the world.
1: Yeah. It's a lot of emotions at once. And you just hope that um, people who they interact with give them empathy and understanding and patience and, It's just, you know how much they're capable of and how much is going on. And it's, they just seemed another way to say it and some understanding and time. And you just wish that everyone would give them that so they have,
0: you know, the chance to speak their minds. Well, we need people to be more like Christina Hunger. Hello. (laughs) Thank (laughs) you. (laughs) I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you, did it ever occur to you to bring another Dog into your household, or do you have a button that Stella could push that could say "not interested"? <laughs> no sharing.
1: We've talked about it. I don't know if we'll have another dog in the immediate near future. Stella's still pretty active. I don't know. Maybe when she's a little bit older, we would bring in another dog. But I would love to see that dynamic play out. If Stella would teach a new dog, or if they would talk to each other with their buttons, i it
0: would be just so interesting. Yeah, that would be really yeah. fascinating. Oh, Well, Christina, talk about fascinating, but you got to step back and say, man, what I've done here.
1: <laughs> I don't think I've fully processed it. It just seemed, it does seem so natural to me because I just did what I always do with kids, with Stella, and I saw this growth every day. I mean, there were those moments on the way where it's just mind blowing. And how did this just happen? But it's normal for me now. It's, it's part of all of our lives. It's how it's one way Stella communicates with us.
0: Yeah. But can you wrap your head around your notoriety? No, (laughs) (laughs) definitely not.
1: (laughs) When, if I will, how I will process
0: that. And the book has really taken off?
1: It has. Yep. It's doing great. It's a New York Times bestseller now. So it's just wild. It's all wild. (laughs) It's a dream come true.
0: Well, thank you for sharing your dream with us. It's been terrific to meet and get to know you. Please give my best to Stella. And, (laughs) And maybe one day I'll get to meet her. But it's been a real joy and pleasure to meet and get to know you.
1: Oh, well, thank you so much. I had so much fun talking with you. This was so great and
0: so fulfilling. Please keep us in your loop and any updates that you want to share, please. We'd be happy to be in your circle.
1: Oh, well, thank you so much.
0: <laughs> Join us for another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein.